Hey, welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. Here we're going to talk about all things OCD. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far, and if you'd like to work together, come check out my monthly membership called Mastering OCD and join a group of other people like yourself. You can go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership. And see you in there. Hi, and welcome to OCD Whisper Podcast. So today I have Chris Tronson, and you work at the Gateway Institute as a clinician, a specialist in OCD and anxiety disorders. Um, and I know also in uh, International OCD Foundation, you're also working there with uh, BDD and, and really being an advocate for OCD. And I know you're really doing a lot of actually advocacy work. And if I remember correctly, you're also vice president of the local chapter in Southern California. So welcome to the show. Yes, Christina, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about OCD as always. <laughs> That's right. That's what we focus on here. Um, so for today's episode, one of the things that comes up quite frequently is folks have questions around OCD and emotions. How, how, does, how does your emotional landscape get impacted when you're somebody who happens to have OCD? So I think if we can kind of dive a little bit into that and give some sort of general understanding of that, that would be a great place to start. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad you're bringing this topic up. I believe that when most clinicians research uh, literature is spoken on OCD, there's such a high focus on the intrusive thought element. But as many people will tell you who live with OCD, sure, thoughts, worries, fears, images is one component of it. But it's not just this thought that pops up in your head. It's also the emotional toll it takes on you. There is such a visceral reaction. You know, our, our palms get sweaty, our throat gets dry, our heart is beating, our vision, it really intensifies. And so we have this just this intense emotion behind whatever trigger we've experienced. And so I hear a lot of the literature focus so much on the intrusive thought element, but don't really explore, discuss, or even uh, highlight the way that it affects somebody's emotional uh, you know, just experience when they're triggered. So we know that the amygdala, there's two of them in our brains. They're about the size of an almond. Both of those are really, really crucial in understanding how somebody experiences OCD. So when those amygdala get triggered, you know, they get into the fight or flight system, but those amygdala are located near and in the limbic system. And that's the part of our brain that really deals with emotion. And so, you know, this part is just misfiring and it's very active. So we know that when we look at somebody experiencing OCD, not only is their brain lit up just from the activity, but also their emotions, they're very intense. And so I know for me, uh, you know, having lived with OCD, I obviously knew that I experienced these intense emotions in situations nobody else found dangerous. But it wasn't until, you know, really writing my thesis in graduate school, I came across literature that really explored that idea of the emotional dysregulation that people with OCD experience. And we hear people talk about that a lot with dialectical behavioral therapy. And when people are experiencing borderline personality disorder, but there's not a lot of discussion about the emotional dysregulation or the struggle that people have with that in OCD. And so I came across these three articles. Um, one was by a researcher named Yap uh, in 2017, another by Berman in 2018, and then Kostravani in 2018. And obviously it wasn't just them, it was with their colleagues. But what the research really showed is that when somebody is experiencing OCD, they have a, a, a difficulty 
regulating their emotions, they feel really intense highs and really intense lows. And so when we're in that fight or flight, that intense emotion takes us sort of out of that rational part of our brain and our ability to really focus. And we get so worked up in those feelings of, of, you know, just distress and anxiety. Or when we look at some of the subtypes like pedophilia, OCD, intense, um, gain, uh, uh, both shame and guilt. And so those emotions really toll, take a toll on us. And we are more likely when experiencing those intense emotions to act on those compulsive behaviors to try to get that emotion to go away. The problem is somebody with OCD learns to basically regulate their emotion through compulsions. And what happens even beyond the OCD scope is when they're experiencing anxiety in their normal life, they're also trying to use compulsions to regulate their emotions. So people that are dealing with normal anxiety from a loss of a family member or from getting let go of a job, we're, it's not surprising that people's emotions start to get out of control and then they rely on higher compulsions to try to regulate that emotion. So beyond just, you know, really dealing with intrusive thoughts, one of the goals in exposure and response prevention is to help a client really learn how to regulate their own emotion and control it. But that's one of the things that loved ones will say is I see my son or my daughter just in so much distress or my loved one in so, so much distress, crying a lot or screaming, angry, all these kind of different emotions from a trigger from OCD. Perfect. So you actually just named one specifically that I wanted to um, hone in on today, and that's anger. Mm. Um, so when it comes to OCD and anger, if you can just talk a little bit to us about, you know, what would be some things that could trigger that? Why would somebody maybe have such immediate anger response? And then, of course, as always, I love to ask, you know, what could be one thing that somebody could do um, to address that? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I would say a lot of times, yes, one of the main emotions that people will report, especially when it's somebody, you know, who comes into a session that's a loved one or a family member, they'll say, look, you know, the individual in my life with OCD is so angry. And when you talk to people with OCD, there's a lot of anger, especially if somebody deliberately or accidentally triggers them. I mean, there's a lot of anger behind that. So we know anger is really a secondary emotion, meaning that you know, that kind of the, the anger comes through when something else is going underneath. And some of the things that can cause anger is feeling a loss of control. And that's really what happens when somebody with OCD is triggered is they, in their mind, have sort of mapped out the situation. And then something appears that triggers them and kind of takes them out of sort of that rational mindset and into that very emotional reptilian part of their brain that's just trying to survive. And if they can't control that situation, it, it leads that kind of injustice, that lack, lack of control into that anger. And so people, you know, especially if they're living at home with others, if somebody does something in the house, let's say somebody uses their bathroom or somebody moves one of their items out of the way, or, you know, a parent is cooking with a knife and it triggers them, they just want that, that negative emotional experience to stop. So there's that lash out. I think of it like this, like if we have a bucket that fills up to the point that we can't tolerate much, the second we're triggered, we go out of sort of that rational calm, let me kind of think this through and straight into just that primal anger, doing anything we can to get that trigger to stop. So what I always remind people is, look, I tell all my clients, you have every right to be angry. It sucks living with OCD, especially since it's such an uh, underappreciated, under misunderstood disorder. So you don't even have, you know, the sympathy or support from, from mo most people in your community. It's just how do you exert that anger? 
So one of the things that I always talk to when I talk, you know, kind of locate the source of anger. One thing often I hear is when it's involving like a family or a relationship is that, you know, everyone around them is trying to critique them or push them or do something in the heat of the moment. So one of my suggestions on how to deal with anger is if you're a loved one or if you're the person with OCD, having a conversation when you're calm and say, okay, if I'm stuck in compulsions, this is how I best want to be supported. So for instance, most people will report that if they're in a compulsion, they want their loved ones to just leave them alone. Give me five minutes, give me 10 minutes. Let me utilize my ERP tools that I've learned and try to get out of this situation on my own. And then we can have a discussion or address it because people will come at them in that moment. Hey, turn off the water or we got to go. And that person is already so frustrated that they're going to lash out in anger simply to get the person to leave them alone. I want to give a second piece, like a tool, because let's say somebody isn't living in a home with other people that's triggering their anger and they're living on their own and experiencing anger. That anger is coming from feeling constantly just being bombarded by intrusive thoughts or triggers. So one of the ways we get past that anger is allowing us to go from sort of that defensive victim mode to actually start seeking out triggers. When we get into an offensive mindset where we're walking around and deliberately triggering ourselves, when somebody else triggers us, we're already in that mindset to handle it and we feel more in control. We actually feel like we can handle this and go towards it. And that really helps people to get out of that anger because they don't feel as helpless and the need to lash out. I think the last thing I'll say about it is self-compassion. You're going to snap. You're going to be angry. You're going to be mad at the world at times. You have a major, major mental disorder that's wreaking havoc on your life. So Give yourself that some, you know, self-compassion, but really work on, you know, utilizing ERP to help with that. Deep breathing is never a bad thing if you're kind of in that anger yeah. and stuff. It, you know, it's not a fix-all, obviously, but learning something like a box breathing to really cool yourself in, you know, cool yourself down, sort of have like a huddle with yourself and, and remind yourself, okay, I'm really angry because I'm frustrated because of how out of control I feel right now. Let me go back to my tools and start fighting against the OCD. And that's going to empower me and I'll feel less angry about the situation. Yeah. And let me, let me uh, go back for a second. You said uh, box breathing. So just for anybody who's not clear on that, can you explain what that is? Yeah. So I learned box breathing. Actually, what the way that I was taught it was from somebody who worked in the military. And they said it was a type of breathing that really helped when people were out in the field to cool themselves down. So they stay into that clarity of their brain and don't get you know caught up in that fight or flight. So I always think if it worked out for, for veterans, you know, I'm not veterans, yeah. but people in active military will work mm -hmm. for us. So if you think of the idea of a box, it has four sides. So what you do is you build one side by breathing in from the nose for four seconds. So you're inhaling through the nose and you want to make sure it's deep breath. So if you have one of your hands on your lower kind of stomach diaphragm area, you want to make sure that that part is moving. So you breathe in for four seconds. Then you want to hold it for the top of the box for four seconds. Then you exhale for four seconds out your mouth, really blow that air like you're trying to blow out a birthday candle, not too intensely, but just a constant breath. And then you rest for four seconds and you want to do that consistently, I would say about six to eight times. And, you know, in, in exposure and response prevention and OCD treatment, we don't rely on the box breathing or a tool like that to solve, obviously, the intrusive thoughts and the intense emotions. But if you're having one of those moments where you are in anger and you're, you're ready to just lash out, you know, stepping aside, finding an area to be by yourself 
do that deep box breathing. And then it allows you to clarify what's going on. And what I like to think of it as like a huddle in a sport and say, okay, I need to go back out there and deliberately touch that item or purposely cut my food with a knife or whatever it's going to be to trigger. Because once again, being empowered like that is going to help with that anger that comes from that lack of control. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that because I always I always have to say that disclaimer that for folks with OCD, anything can be a compulsion. Anything Correct. can be an obsession. So we're not looking to use these tools to neutralize your anxiety. But I think you're exactly right. When you're when you're that angry, I think one of the from what I'm hearing also important strategies is to learn how to just somehow take a pause or slow that down just for even a second. Um, so that you can create a little buffer between that and that immediate reaction that you might want to engage in or that lashing out. Um, Correct. Like growing, when I talk about my own kind of recovery, you know, when I was living in a household and people were not doing things deliberately to anger me, but they were living their life and it just so happened that it would trigger me. Um, I had a fear of cancer and I don't know why I thought, but I thought, for instance, coffee caused cancer. So when somebody in my household would be making, you know, coffee, I would get enraged because it felt like people were deliberately putting me in danger. And so, you know, the box breathing obviously wasn't to solve the OCD, but it was to recognize that my exposure therapy was to deliberately go up in the kitchen where it was being, um, you know, made to take deep breaths in and accept the, the uncertainty, what would happen. Maybe I would develop cancer. Maybe I wouldn't. Sometimes I was more in a mental state to march up those stairs and unplug the coffee you know, make her and start screaming and that's not healthy. So if I wasn't able to get myself in that mindset to do ERP, the box breathing was a quick 30 second tool to just cool me down to say, okay, Chris, you can't be angry at your grandma making coffee. She has every right. It's your job to learn how to adapt using the, the, you know, the ERP tools to then go upstairs and to deliberately do it. Then I started thinking my grandma making coffee as a gift thank you for triggering me because I can only do ERP when I'm triggered. So this gives me an opportunity to do the treatment. But yes, I mean, what the research also found is that ERP helps people regulate emotion. I think a lot of times people think of DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy as that kind of gold standard treatment to help with emotional regulation, which I agree in borderline personality disorder and other instances it is. Mm -hmm. But for us, the ERP teaches us to not have such an emotional reaction to that Mm -hmm. negative stimuli. So what people find over time is maybe two, three months ago when they were around a knife around a loved one, they felt intense fear and intense distress and then guilt and shame for having those thoughts. That same client may report three months later that that intense negative emotion they experienced is muted or no longer there because they've taught themselves through the behavioral component of ERP that this is not something to fear. This is not a stimuli that needs to be avoided. And that emotional dysregulation that the brain was providing to sort of keep that person safe is not something they need anymore. And we'll see that emotion be regulated through ERP itself, according to the research and according to clinical experience. Yeah, that's actually a really great point and clarification. And I and I think one other thing that comes to mind is um, I think also just making that clear delineation between when something is actually legitimately unhealthy, like um, let's say a relationship you're in that's not healthy, where there's arguments, disagreements, lack of communication, and so on. Um, and then you're also getting triggered, um, right? So it's like a, a both end experience, right? Or there's yelling or whatever it is, whatever it is. So already the foundational aspect of it is, is 
not pleasant, right? And you're getting triggered on top of it, that you can have anger, but also being clear that, you know, putting it in the context of the entire picture, it's like, well, right, maybe I actually am in an unhealthy situation that's continuing to exacerbate and compound um, the triggers and the emotional, you know, effect. And so similarly, though, I think the strategies would be like everything you discussed, exposure response prevention, the box breathing sounds like a great tool, mindfulness, compassion, and, and being able to get enough space and distance so you can have some clarity and then look at the situation again um, from a, a clearer mindset to understand, you know, what about the situation is perhaps literally actually is unhealthy that needs to be changed versus when you are like you described let's say in a household where people are just living their life and then it just happens to be that i'm getting triggered um and i think just having that that distinction is important for folks to hear as well absolutely i mean great point christina that it's going to be difficult in those kind of situations. Let's say you're in an unhealthy relationship and you're also, whether it's responsibility OCD or, you know, relationship OCD, having, you know, excess intense emotions. I mean, that's really difficult. You're having the emotions of just being in an unhealthy relationship and the emotions that come along with having intense OCD and trying to navigate through those is very difficult. And so, you you know, that person or that individual may not be able to work with a traditional therapist or couples counselor to try to figure out if the relationship is healthy, because right now the OCD is too loud and they may need to focus on that to get those thoughts, but even more importantly, to get those emotions down and be able to get like, like you said, clarity, because you made a good point. I mean, when we're in our fight or flight system and we're really, really freaked out and having those intense emotions, we're not in our, our part of our brain that can really make those, those rational decisions of if this relationship is healthy or not. So the ERP, you know, obviously it's going to help with um, how to, you know, have a relationship with our intrusive thoughts, but it's also going to teach you how to have a new relationship with your emotions. We talk a lot about in OCD therapy about emotional reasoning this idea that we allow our emotions to basically judge our behavior you know to to direct our behaviors and we can't be doing that in ocd because we know a lot of times the emotions we are experience aren't really our own that's why we see traditional talk therapy not work for ocd is because somebody let's say in relationship ocd can be talking about those those symptoms from the ocd for months years heck, may I say decades sometimes in some people's cases, but it's not their own emotions. So the more they talk about them, the more you validate them as a clinician. And the person now is so confused. Are these my own emotions? Is it from the disorder, et cetera? So by, you know, utilizing ERP, what it helps do is not only get clarity, but it helps kind of quiet those emotions on the OCD. And then, like you said, now there's a clear picture about the actual relationship. And the person can say, now that the OCD is gone, it's clear to me you know, that this relationship is unhealthy and I have to jump ship. So people can make that decision uh, once the OCD is out of it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, just, you know, if people want to find you, where they can, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I work at the Gateway Institute in Costa Mesa. I'm a therapist there. I'm also a lead advocate for the IOCDF. So, um, and working for their uh, BDD special interest group and then vice president of OCD Southern California. So the best way to reach me is just, you know, find me on those, you know, those platforms. I would say just email me. It's my name, Chris Tronson at gatewayocd.com. But thank you so much for having me. This is an important topic. And I hope if anybody gets one thing from this podcast, it's really the fact that, you know, if you're reading things and you're watching things and you don't hear emotion, um, you know, mentioned a lot, that's one thing that Christina is trying to do with this podcast, that emotion definitely is a 
really impacted component of the OCD triangle. And by really understanding how emotion can be manipulated through OCD and really understanding why you're experiencing it can help people get better clarity on their recovery journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening to OCD Whisper Podcast. If you want ongoing support with live weekly Q&A calls to address your questions about OCD and get topic trainings, please join my membership, Mastering OCD. Go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership.